0: Keep in touch with the Wolf Connection Podcast on our Instagram handle at the Pod, or email us your questions, comments, and guest ideas to podcast at wolfconnection.org. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection Podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. So we read this article that was published by Outside Magazine, probably in the winter of this year. And we were able to track down this world traveler. She, uh, she is a freelance writer. Uh, she writes mostly about adventure, travel, camping, national parks, outdoor gear uh, for a lot of publications, including USA Today. She started working with Outside Magazine in 2015, and she's been a writer for over 10 years. She's based in Montana for now. Um, until she goes into her next uh, jaunts. Her name is Katie Jackson. Katie, it's in, uh, nice to meet you. Glad that you're settled at home, like you said, for the summer. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm, Yellowstone is literally about an hour from my house, so I don't mind being home for the summer. And I'm just enjoying what Montana has to offer.
0: What was the last trip you were just on before you stopped home?
1: I did a two-week scandinavian cruise in june but um in may i actually did a mountain biking safari in botswana and that was crazy um that was probably the scandinavian cruise was was nice but the safari in botswana was that was wild um because you're on you're on bicycles and literally riding alongside there's herds of wildebeest and you look down and you see leopard tracks and um it just, that was, was crazy. So I'm still, still reliving that.
0: Yeah. I mean, how did you, how did you get started in this? Because you, you grew up in Montana. Your, your family has a, a ranch that's been in your, uh, there for a few generations. Uh, so you, you grew up in, in that community. Just how did this all come about for you? What, what led you to this passion of traveling around the world and, and writing all about these, these adventures and, and national parks and gear and things of that sort?
1: Yeah. So I, I grew up in Montana on a ranch and, um, I, I would say when I was about 14, I decided I needed some diversity in my life. I wanted to meet people who were different skin color, different religion, um, different sexual orientation. And, um, I, you, you don't really find that in Montana. So I Googled the most diverse place in the world. And at the time it was Queens, New York, So as soon as I graduated high school, I moved to Queens, New York and went to college there, went to St. John's University and got a degree in marketing. And my first jobs out of college were working for big travel companies. And big travel companies like American Express Travel or Wyndham Hotels or Disneyland, they have budgets set aside to host writers, to host media or bloggers or influencers for free. So I would coordinate those free trips in exchange for coverage and arrange those. And after a few years of sitting in my cubicle on park Avenue, I was like, you know what? I could do away with this salary and just take these free trips. So I literally just flipped. Um, so I was the one coordinating these, these trips. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I'd rather just write and get to go on these trips myself. So I've been doing that now since, um, about 2015.
2: How do you start writing about outdoor gear? It sounds like an, an awesome gig.
1: Yeah, no, it's, uh, <laughs> you should see how many boxes I have in my garage or like Camelback just sent me a um, a package today and tomorrow I'll get one from Phil Raven. That's I get awesome. so much gear. The, the delivery guys, I probably think I'm crazy, but um, I started writing for about gear because a lot of outlets these days are now covering gear as a way to make money um, through affiliates and through online shopping. So Everything from Outside Magazine to the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Um, they're now covering a lot of products because then when readers buy those products, they'll get a commission. So it wasn't so much me wanting to get into it. It was editors saying, can you do a roundup of the best tents under $400? Um, So it was editor driven, but I don't complain because I get all these cool samples. And um, I like knowing that I can save readers money or, or time for shopping.
0: And so when you're when you get all these products, Mm -hmm. what's the what's your time frame in in terms of having to use it and test it out and then write the piece? Because we were talking just before and you're like, I have a a bunch of pieces that I'm backlogged on. (laughs) So what's your time frame for that when you're receiving all these packages and then have to test out all the gear, essentially?
1: Um, I usually just do a, a huge batch. It's usually a pretty quick turnaround because I travel most of the year and I can't get packages internationally. So, um, I'll have everything shipped to me at my home here in Montana. And then within two weeks, I'll put out 12 articles or 12 stories. So, um, as soon, as soon as I get the gear, I'm testing it. And like my neighbors think I'm weird. I'll be out setting up a tent in the middle of the day. And they will be like, why are you doing that? Like, you're not going to sleep in it. But I'm like, I need to know how, how easy it is to set up. Um, so I have to pretty much test it, test it all right away. Um, the best part is when I get, I do a lot of beauty products as well and, <laughs> No, I mean, there's days when it's like, I don't want to try this hair day or I don't want to... Um, one time I had to test this home waxing kit and it's like, I don't feel like waxing anything right now. Or I don't even have hair to wax, but I had to. So.
0: It's wild. I mean, how is this... It, has this given you a different perspective? I, I imagine it has, but I don't want to project. Just from, like you say, switching from a cubicle lifestyle and a work style to now an outdoor travel. You, you said... I think this year or in the last 10 months, you've hit every continent. Mm-hmm. So what, what's that like yeah. for you and how has that switched? I guess your internal and your external um, facets, uh, because again, you're not a cubicle worker. You are just out in it pretty much mm-hmm. 90% of the time.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's definitely given me a, a bigger picture um, to use that adage. I think a lot of people see the trees and having now seen every continent and been to dozens and dozens of countries, sometimes as many as 30 in one year, I see the forest and, um, it's just given me a different perspective. And I'm especially, uh, grateful for the things that we have. Um, and I don't, I don't think I complain as much as people here living in the States because I, I know what things are like in a lot of other places that have it worse, Or I know of people who would give their left arm or their firstborn to move to the U.S. So that's the biggest um, thing that I've noticed. Uh, And it's been awesome, but it also is isolating because not many people can relate um, to having been as many places as as I've been. And um, so when I do meet younger people who want to get into this career, I have to let them know it's not good if you want to have... um stable relationships and also it just it will isolate you and you'll have experience that other people don't have and unless they're really interested in that it's just something you you go through yourself and you have to process that
0: what was that like for your family when you decided to take off and, and do this type of career were they behind you was it something that they said go for it Katie or was there a little bit of apprehension there? How did, how did that go over?
1: I think if you read the outside magazine article, you'll get a feel for what my mom is like. And yeah, my mom, when I was 18, um, moving to New York, New York city, um, in Queens, which I lived in the neighborhood where 50 cent grew up and got shot. So it was a pretty dangerous neighborhood, but what my, my parents, they, they encouraged me, um, because I got a full ride scholarship, so they weren't going to stop me. But the, what my mom told me was you better always have your ID on you. Cause I don't want to fly somewhere to have to identify your body. And that's kind of been the joke. And that's been, um, it, it, it was a it was a joke and that's kind of been their attitude. Like I could email my dad and say, Hey dad, I'm in Spain today. Tomorrow I'm taking off for Thailand and he'll just respond back, have fun, love dad. But that said, I, um, I did have an incident in South Africa in at the end of May I was hiking by myself. Um, on a trail in Cape town and I was attacked and robbed and assaulted by a man with a knife. And my mom came, she flew to South Africa and, um, she, uh, supported me and was with me. So for as much as they make jokes about, you know, how dangerous it is where I'm going and stuff, they, they do show up. Um, but they've never been like, we don't think you should go there. Or, uh, they don't <laughs> half the time. I don't even know where I am. So,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it definitely seemed that. I mean, from reading the article, and it, it, you just had it. It seems like a very solid and stable childhood in terms of you know working on the ranch and, and just just go into that a little bit about because because people may if, if they had read the article, um, just so everybody knows. So we'll we'll be talking about the specific article and then we'll we'll get into it. So it's called "My Rancher Parents Hate Wolves." I took them on a wolf watching tour in Yellowstone to change their minds. So that's the article that we're referencing. That's in Outside Magazine. Um so just go into your family's ranch which is it's called Lazy JK and I wanted to make sure I got that right. Um just how is that what's it like growing up in the ranching community especially in Montana and, and being in that every single day f- for the better part of your childhood before you uh, obviously leave and, and go off to college.
1: Yeah, so growing up on a ranch um for starters, it's a, it's a lot of work and you learn early on that animals come first. So if I wanted to go have a sleepover or go hang out with friends or whatever, um, cows had to be fed. Uh, the pigs had to, their pens had to be cleaned out and whatever you just learn. I think in some families it goes like faith, family, friends, but in a ranch life, it's like ranch, faith, family, friends. You just always have, um, The ranch has to come first. So for example, like right now it's haying season. And as long as the weather is good, my parents are out either swathing and cutting hay or they're baling it. It doesn't matter if um, there's something really fun going on in town. Uh, As long as the weather's good, they have to hay. And there's no it's black or white. The ranch always comes first. The animals come first. And so that's, that was nice in the sense of being a kid, knowing that. And I, I grew up with a sense of discipline and a hard work ethic. So I never really had chore lists. Like We don't call them chores because they're just things you do. It's like brushing your teeth. You don't call brushing your teeth a chore. Well, um, getting the eggs, that's not a chore. That's just what you do. That's how you have eggs in the fridge when you pull the the door open. So um, it it gave me a really hard uh, – a good – a good work ethic that has, um, paid off. And I'm so grateful for it now at the time. Yeah, I complained, but at the time now, uh, or now I'm extremely grateful for that.
0: And what was it like in that, just being in that community? Cause it seems like it's very, we, we've spoken to a couple of, uh, people that have had ranches in their families for generations and and people that, uh, are in that community. And it really just seems like a very tight knit group and that they watch out for each other that, they are looking out for. It seems, for the most part, the ones we've spoken to for everyone's best interest, so that they can continue to survive and hopefully thrive in these settings. Was that? Is that how it was? Uh, is that how it is for your family? for For Lazy JK, is there a lot of uh, partnerships going on, or, or how is it situated for for your for uh, for your family? Yeah,
1: I would say it's like I think my parents are part of a co op, and um, the neighboring ranches. They're not. We're not. Um, in competition with them we will lease land to them they'll lease land to us if hail damages our crop damage our our hay crop and we need hay for our cows we reach out to a local rancher hey do you have extra hay we could buy um and that just so yes it's very collaborative and um and these families at least in central montana where i'm from the ranches go back generations and generations uh so my grandparents knew their grandparents and my great grandparents knew their great grandparents. And it it becomes kind of incestuous in the sense that sometimes the families will, um, farmer's daughter dates the, the guy from the ranch down the road or whatever. Um, but yeah, these families are really intertwined and, um, uh, and they, and they do collaborate and cooperate and, um, everybody looks out for each other. And if, if your tractor breaks down, we'll lend you a tractor. If we have one, that kind of thing.
2: So, I mean, as we transition into, into wolves, how does it happen that your favorite species is your family's mm-hmm. least favorite species? And I imagine it's not as, as, as simple as, you know, child parent contrarian dynamics. So how does that, how does that happen?
1: I wish I could say that. Cause that would be easy to say, you know, <laughs> yeah, my, exactly. my parents don't like wolves. So obviously what they don't want me to do, I'm going to like, Um, but I don't, I don't think that was it because, um, when I was younger and became infatuated with wolves, I did not care what my parents thought or what they, um, what they, I didn't really know their attitude towards wolves until I was older. Um, but I can trace my love for wolves going back to when I was like four years old, so um, I think what it has to do with is on the ranch we had we had sheep when I was um, really young and we had sheep dogs and um, the sheep dogs there's something about the dogs that I just gravitated towards and so wolves are like an even more an even wilder form of that and that to me was like this is the ultimate dog as a wolf so yeah
2: that's wild so like what kind of story I mean what, was your, what was your family's relationship with wolves that, that early on?
1: They were like, um, they were, they were a threat that was always there, but wasn't there. So I think they lived in my parents' head. Um, there's this, because the reality is, is our ranch is in central Montana and there are not wolves in central Montana. Yes. Every 10 years or so, there might be a sighting, but it's not a, a big threat. But I think, um, my parents just worried about them and needed, uh, something they needed, they needed a bad guy. And I think wolves fit that narrative for them. And, um, and even though it's not again, a serious threat, it was an easy, an easy villain and, um, they needed that. So, And they, and they, to be honest, they, um, they really hate coyotes and coyotes are the number one, um, killer of livestock in Montana. So I think wolves are just bigger coyotes. So naturally they would hate them as well.
2: I'm just curious when you use the word hate, Mm -hmm. can you be more specific about, about what you mean by that? Do you, do you really, do you feel that your parents hate wolves and coyotes or is there like a, a, a more detailed way to describe, I'm genuinely curious, is there a more detailed way to describe that?
1: It's a good question. Um I believe my mom hates coyotes because I have been with her when she shoots them and for her again it's black or white. It's not a coyote is bad in this situation or in this circumstance when it's too close to the cows. For her I think it's easier to just categorize coyotes as bad and um she doesn't have the time of day or doesn't take the time of day to consider what they might mean um for the environment or other animals, um, as a rancher, she doesn't have that luxury of having that time to, to think about that. It's just, this is a bad thing. I'm going to shoot it. And, um, and so for her, for my dad, he's gotten, he's now almost 70. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten softer. And I think, I don't think it's fair for me to say he hates them anymore because he's now starting to, like I said, soften up a bit and see things from a different perspective um, so I don't know that he hates them, but my mom, my definition of hate is if she has a gun in her hand, will she shoot it with no questions asked? Yes.
0: Hmm. Is that transferable to the other predators that are on the landscape too in Montana? Bears, cougars, bobcat, anything that, that, that poses a threat to the livelihood of the ranch and your parents' way of living?
1: Y- yes, but it's also um not it's not restricted to just the livelihood in terms of money. For example, my grandma lives in a just about half a mile from our ranch, and her caretaker had a a flock of about twelve chickens, and there was a black bear that kept getting in into the chickens this summer and it, it only killed one. I think it was a um not a very good hunter or whatever. But even though those chickens were not used for a livelihood and uh, my, my mom went and killed that bear. I think it's more, she, she considers it justice. Like, mm. <laughs> so it's not like those 12 chickens were bringing in any income or anything. They, I don't even know if they were of the age where they were laying eggs yet, but the fact of the matter is, is a bear should leave them alone and should not be in that near the chicken coop. So my mom's way of dealing with it was to kill it, not to call fish, wildlife and parks or not to move the chickens. It was, Bear doesn't belong here, so I'm going to kill it. It was a black bear, and she uh, killed it.
2: <laughs> how do you? Well, actually, before I ask that question, what what do what do you do with a black bear after you kill it? Do you have to call fish and wildlife? Or you yeah, just-
1: so she they did call after that and they removed the the body. But the bad thing, and I actually I wasn't there when this happened, but I heard the story Sunday from my grandma's caretaker and my mom's um, rifle wasn't uh, what do they call it? The scope wasn't sighted in or something, and so. Yeah. So it, it took about three different shots. So it was not a execution style, easy way out for the bear. It was Uh, a painful, um, messy, messy kill, but, um, That's just, if I had been there, I couldn't talk to my mom and be like, mom, like, you know, it's only killed one chicken. Or what if we move the chicken, the chicken coop somewhere else? Or this bear has been here longer. There is no conversation. That wouldn't have worked. Nope.
2: (laughs) Wow. So, so the question I was going to ask was how do your grandparents feel about wolves Um, or coyotes?
1: Most of my grandparents, especially the ranch, the ones who we inherited the ranch from, they're, they're dead, but um, they also would not, would not like them. Um, My only my only remaining grandparent the one that she was caretaker had these chickens she's from brooklyn new york and uh she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't, she doesn't care about ranching really so she probably does not hate them
0: yeah it's interesting how that goes across it, 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 there's an interesting spectrum i think of how people approach wildlife out in out in the west and, and all the people that we've spoken to mm-hmm. and uh you know how like Stephen was was asking you just before, just for you to have that different viewpoint than the generational, um, you know, your grandparents and great-grandparents and uh, your parents mm-hmm. have, have had. So uh, born out of that mm-hmm. for yourself, what was the conversation like for you to go to your parents and say, Let's go on a wolf watching trip because it, it just seems uh, it seems like <laughs> the one eighty that nobody's expecting was it a, was it something that was a surprise was it a was it a slow burn? How did you get them to this point to to drive? Uh, how far is the ranch from Yellowstone? It mm-hmm. couldn't be that far, I assume. It's yeah, it's fairly close. Um,
1: this is going to make me sound like a bad daughter, but um, my strategy there was I. If they wanted to see me, so my house is two hours from where they live, from the ranch, the house that I own in Montana, but I don't make a good effort to go up there. And they do, even if we have different beliefs, they do want to spend time with me. So my strategy and attitude is if you want to spend time with me, it has to be on, it's going to be on my terms. Um, And I think they're so desperate to spend time with me that they were willing to do that. And they do love, they do love Yellowstone. They don't, when I was a kid growing up, we'd go to Yellowstone all the time and never saw never saw wolves so it's not like you go there and you're guaranteed a sighting so it's it's not a sore subject for them my mom is a big elk hunter so she loves going to Yellowstone and seeing the elk um so they I think they thought it thought of it as this is just just going to be a trip to Yellowstone yeah it has a wolf angle but we're probably not going to see any and it'll be worth putting up with that just to get to spend time with our daughter because they don't spend a lot of time with me.
0: Mm. <laughs> wow. and, and I mean, when you when you go there, uh, and, and again, it, I, I will advise everybody here to to, to, to absolutely read the article. It's it, it's really um, incredible how how Katie dives into this. But you, one, you have Nathan Varley as your guide, mm-hmm. which we, we've spoken to. He's he's an awesome individual to to not only have guide you, but just to be there to to bounce questions off of and and things like that. It's not just oh, here we're going to take you to these certain spots. Yeah. How did that, how did that relationship form or how did, how did, how did you, did you go to Nathan's, uh, wolf guiding spot? How was, how did that all start to, to get Nathan to be the ones to bring you out?
1: So I started, um, getting really interested in Yellowstone wolves in around, I think in 2015. And I just came up upon Nathan by just Googling, um, I think Yellowstone wolves. And, uh, I certainly didn't, um, pick him because he has a great website because he doesn't. No offense, Nathan. But that the website didn't sell me. It was the experience. And um, he's so great emailing back and forth. And I would say, you know, I, I'm interested in knowing about this. And he always takes the time to answer questions. And, um, and of course, when I emailed him, he said, hey, I'd love to take my parents and, and do something in January. I think I did this in December. He was like, just let me know the dates and I can personally take you out. Um, and I just love, I, I chose Nathan and I love his story because he literally grew up in the park. He went to school in Mammoth, which there's not a school there anymore, but um, he grew up in the park. So I don't think you, and his parents were both ranger, rangers and biologists. So I don't think um, there's anyone better uh, to, to tell you about, about the wolves, um, in Yellowstone. I think it's, it's gotta be Nathan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, so, so your parents are, so you have them coming to you and you're, you're setting up this trip. Were there vocal reservations, apprehensions from them? Was it sort of a silent, okay, well, I know you said they, they accepted it and and they'll do this. Mm -hmm. How, the, was there a buildup for it or was it really just seemed like a, a fairly normal trip that you guys would have um, like you, when you were younger going into the park?
1: Yeah, I don't, I, it was not like a normal trip we'd have when I was younger. Um, I think in a way my parents, obviously I'm going into it thinking I can change their minds. I think my parents also went also went into it thinking it a challenge to change my mind and Nathan's mind. So I think they welcomed that um, opportunity and wanted to share their side and we're convinced that my dad loves to debate, so um, I think they looked forward to that. Whereas, for as much as I wanted to change my parents' mind and bring them to Yellowstone, I was so uncomfortable the in, almost the entire time we were there because they they embarrassed me and they they said things that you know I thought might be considered disrespectful to Nathan or. Um, it was it was agonizing at at times but i think you have to when you, when you have these conversations they're not you're going to be uncomfortable and you're going to get embarrassed <laughs> but you you have to you have to do that um otherwise you're not going to make any progress and unfortunately unfor- or or for us, for Nathan and I, because if you picture it as being Nathan and I are team wolf against my parents or anti-wolf, <laughs> um, it was a home game for us. We were in Yellowstone and so we had the home court advantage and that definitely paid off and um, getting to see the, the wolves and in, in the environment. And the day we, we went, they ended, it was the day they ended up collaring the wolves. So we had so much action uh so my parents really had it was really had an am- amazing day and um sightings, whereas if if we hadn't seen any wolves, I don't think they would have gotten it. Um I, I think uh um we definitely lucked out with the sightings and that helped. Um yeah.
2: So I mean, was there a moment that you felt like anything had shifted or was, or, or did you wait till the end to sort of survey the group and say, okay, did this have any effect on you at all? Or what, what, what's your the, perspective now? Or how did that go?
1: The, the moment for me was when we um was the first, well, it was the the sighting that we had. It was um 22 wolves. It was the, like pretty much the entire Junction Butte pack. And we were not even expecting we were hoping to see wolves on this trip, but Nathan doesn't guarantee wolf sightings. So, um, we would have considered saying one lucky, but when we pulled up to this lookout and there were 22 wolves and seeing how excited my mom and dad were and how impatient they were for Nathan to set up the scopes, um, that, (laughs) that was when I was like, okay, like this might work. And also, um, my parents, uh, as soon as Nathan did have those scopes set up, there was only two scopes and my parents hogged them (laughs) and my parents are really considerate. And, um, and usually as the the daughter and the only girl, I get, I get things first, but I had to be like, excuse me, like, can I, can I look through the scope? And so I think it was the, the quantity of seeing, you don't see 22 wolves at once. Like that's, it. it's just, um, that it was just overwhelming and uh uh um and having that sighting i just saw how my parents reacted and knew like okay this could be possible um and and also with that you get to see when you see the entire pack you get to see the pack dynamics and it just tells a a the a more complete story than if you saw one or two lone wolves um seeing the entire pack pack and just hanging out for a couple hours watching them um paints a, a bigger picture than if you were to just see one or two wolves so uh we we really lucked out with that sighting
2: and obviously we could we could imply we can insinuate the the overall impact of of or the overall goal of taking someone who doesn't like wolves to Yellowstone to see wolves but you're you're in a unique situation where you you're not only, you don't only like love Yellowstone, you love this particular species and you were raised within a family that didn't. So I'm curious from someone who's, who's that intimately connected to, to both of these, these things, what were you hoping that they would see? And when I say see, I don't mean see with the naked eye. I mean, what, what were you hoping they would see differently just merely by laying eyes on, on wolves in Yellowstone?
1: I I was hoping that they would notice the, the people around us, the other visitors to the park and how excited they were to see wolves and to look at their license plate and realize, Oh, people drive all the way out here from Virginia in the winter to see wolves. (laughs) And, um, because I don't think until that moment, I don't think my parents, uh, I think my parents saw wolves as a problem that, um, a problem animal that affect Montanans and they don't realize what these animals mean to people all over the world and how far they're willing to travel to see them. So for as excited I was to have my parents see the wolves, I also wanted them to see the people who come to see the wolves. And that's what you get when you go to Yellowstone, because it's, it's rarely just you as soon as you pull over your vehicle, other vehicles are going to pull over and be like, what are you looking at? Um, So, what interests me as much as the wolves are the other wolf watchers and hearing their stories. And, um, they're, they're fascinating. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you, when you're there and, and again, for you to be able to see not only roughly the entire junction Butte pack, Mm -hmm. which is a a massive uh, pack of wolves there, but to see the collaring of Mm -hmm. wolves, which you go into detail in the article too, And also Joanna Lambert, who was (laughs) was there as well. So you really got a a massive trifecta in terms of not only, you know, uh, an individual who is deep and heavy into the Colorado reintroduction, who's Mm -hmm. there watching wolves, but you get to see the scientific, the... Personal wolf watching experience mm-hmm. and then also just get somebody who is in it all the time. So you really the the trifecta was there and it's almost like it was sacred timing for you to go at that point with Nathan to do the whole thing, you know.
1: It it was, and um and Nathan's usually I won't say he's stoic, but he's not a extremely animated guy. But how excited he got when we when he we heard the planes flying overhead and he knew instantly. This means they're going to start collaring them. We really like that. And then he saw Joanna's vehicle and Joanna um, seeing Nathan's eyes light up because he he's done this for 30 years or a long time. And um, so it, it takes a lot to get him excited. And he was excited. So in that moment, I knew this is, this is going to be really special. And with Joanna, I didn't know who she was, but there was something about her. Um, she's very charismatic and she also was as animated and lit up like Nathan did. And, um, to see these two people just so excited, that's, um, uh, contagious. And we, uh, our energy started to match their energy and it was just a, a cool experience. And then my parents, um, we, they're really into aviation. Uh, my family's got a few small planes. So (laughs) adding in the, the plane component, um, they were all about, all about that and, yeah like you said having the scientists there cuz the wolf project people were there and they're visible in their neon vests um my parents are able to see like oh it's not just the visitors who care about them these are the these are volunteers who are out here um on a cold it was a brutally cold day and um you know they really care about these animals and learning from them and uh yeah we <laughs> i really i I should have bought a lottery ticket that day <laughs> because <laughs> we lucked
0: that. Yeah, yeah, you should should have played numbers or something. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, for for you, seeing your parents enthusiastic in that way, what did that bring up for you in that moment? Because that I, I don't know if are your parents mostly stoic most of the time because of the work that they do, because of working on the ranch and, and everything is so regimented, if when you saw them in that moment or in those key moments, what was that like for you to just take a step back and, and view that as opposed to all the stuff that was going on around you?
1: Yeah, I was, um, I don't, I don't think many people we, I don't think we get to see our, our parents, um, excited like a kid on Christmas morning very often. Um, if, if there are people out there who do, I'm envious of you because, um, yeah, my parents are, I think I said, Kathy Bates would play my mom in a movie and she's a very serious woman. And, um, has had a tough life. She's been in a car accident and my, my dad has diabetes and has also had a, a tough life. So they're, they're, they're rough around the edges and, uh, it, it takes a lot to get them excited. And, um, and so to watch, watch them and what was cool about when they were watching the wolves is they didn't care how they came off to anyone else. Like they didn't, Whereas if, if I was them and people knew my position on wolves, even if I was internally excited, I wouldn't want to show that to Nathan, but they just let down their guards and were completely like, wow, this is cool. Um, so the, the rant, the tough rancher, that persona that they had just kind of went away for a bit. And they were like giddy young kids who were like, Nathan, can you set that scope up any faster? And my mom taking pictures. And, um, and in that moment also watching that, I was thinking, Okay, this is all the um, discomfort I've I felt on this trip and with these conversations and thinking I'm gonna have to apologize to Nathan after this for some of the things my parents have said I was thinking this is all worth it and um, and I knew Nathan was thinking that as well because I think I think Nathan likes to take out clients who want to see wolves and are wolf advocates. Um, I think people like my parents are it's a it's a tougher sell and it might not be as enjoyable. But in this moment, we were able to see that, OK, it was it was worth it, um, even though it was a kind of awkward car ride there for a bit. <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, just and you and you play it so well when you're describing your your parents on the ride in just about the debates and the and the, oh, the jokes that they were trying to make. It's I, I could feel when you say that you had you had tension in your body the whole time, I, I can I can see. I can see the reasons why, Yeah, um, but it's all, all the better for me to hear from you about that excitement and about those questions that they were ultimately asking when everything was going down. Because mm-hmm. to me, that that just shows that there's there's something inside that I, I think deep down, it seemed as though they wanted to see them. It wasn't a, you know, they, they didn't want to go there and not see anything. Yeah. And so to see all of the action, all of that stuff, as you laid out so beautifully with the scientists and Joanna and collaring and other people's stories that, that I think is, you always hope for that and dream for that. Mm-hmm. And for, to see that put on display, like you say, for your parents or for anyone that you take on a trip like that mm-hmm. is that brings, I think the innermost, uh, joy that you can stand back and watch that all unfold. Yeah. In front of you.
1: Yeah. It was incredible. And this is kind of similar, um, I can relate to my parents in the sense that I was in Africa a couple of years ago and I had a guide who was going to take me out on a walking safari. And he said, we're, we're going to focus on termites and termite mounds because they're everywhere. And in my mind, I'm like, that's a waste of time. I don't care about termites. Um, I came here to see the big five. Like I want to see some cats and predators. Like this is going to be terrible. I, I don't want to do it. And, but I, but I did it. And first termite mound, I am just blown away by these creatures and seeing them up close and then hearing from the guide about their colonies and how they operate. Termites are some of the most fascinating creatures in the world. And they're very important to the ecosystem there. Um, And that, if you had asked me an hour before I went out on this termite walking tour, what I thought of termites, I would have been like, I don't think of termites, like they're boring or whatever. But I had so many questions about termites. I ended up asking him, can we extend the tour? Um, And and, and that, I think, to some degree is like my parent, like you might not realize how interesting something is or how you will react to seeing it up close until you are in that moment. And then when you're in that moment, you're like, I've only got a certain amount of time with these animals, viewing these animals. I got to get all these questions out. I got to learn as much as I can. And I'm not going to blink. I want to see as much as I can. And you don't know until you're in that ex- experience. I would have never guessed that someone would put me in front of a termite mound, and I would find it fascinating. But I did.
0: For for them, I mean, what what do you what what would you take away from it? Because I know, as as you get towards the end of the article, it's your your mom and dad are already thinking about we have to get back to the ranch because we have to do X, Y, and Z. Just because that's and, and that just that seems like the normal. Ritual, you know, these are the roles. These they're not chores. This is the duties that we have to do when we get back to the ranch. So, do you think, from your perspective as their daughter and taking them on this this experience, that this was a little bit of a break from the norm, and it was sort of like just sort of an outlier? You think it's something that they would do again? Do you think anything more came out of it other than that? Because I know you seem to think that minds weren't necessarily changed and Mm -hmm. that they just, they might've shifted slightly, Mm -hmm. but nothing too over the top. What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think I made a lot of progress. And just my dad saying um, that going from going into the, into the tour in Yellowstone, he would have shot a wolf um, um, on site, even if it wasn't near livestock towards after that day, he said, you know what, I'd only shoot a wolf if it was obviously threatening the livestock and was a, with, within range. And that to me is, is huge. So I think, um, it definitely changed their opinion of wolves. And, and one thing, one breakthrough my dad really had was that when him and Nathan were talking about how necessary, cause my dad grew up in Montana and he remembers, um, the elk population being out of control prior to the wolves. And, uh, he was talking to Nathan about that. And Nathan did a good job of validating him and saying, you know, my dad's name is Mel, you know, Mel, you're right. Um, the wolves, or the elk population was out of control. And so my dad feeling like, Oh, I have some knowledge. Nathan's backing me up on this. Um, the wolves actually were important to managing the elk population in Yellowstone. Um, I think that kind of was a breakthrough moment for him and instead of him and Nathan, being like you're right and you're wrong. They both agreed on something. And that was a a big moment because um from then on, he was like, oh, so Nathan might not be my my enemy, might not be my enemy. We agree on something. And that thing that they agreed on was actually pretty big. And then I, I think um having taken them to Yellowstone, yes, Yellowstone's in Montana, but my parents might only get there once every four or five years. But every time they they go, they are reminded how important it is, um, to Montana and to Wyoming and that all the people that come, so come to, come to see it. And they see, they see Montana as more than just their 1500 acre ranch, um, in the center of the state. I think it's easy to get caught up in that and think that your world is the only world that matters. And the, um, players in your world are, (laughs) are what matters, but there's other players and the world is bigger. And, um, I don't think that they went back home and called up their rancher friend and said, Hey, we just went on this amazing wolf watching tour (laughs) in Yellowstone. And guess what? I think they might not be as bad as we think they are. I don't think they did that. (laughs) Um, but they posted photos from the trip. And, um, and I think if someone ask them another rancher, another hunter, I think they would say they had a good time and they can see now that wolf tourism is a thing in Yellowstone. And uh so yeah, so I'm I'm proud I'm proud of myself. Um, not just myself, but also Nathan. I also credit it too. I think as your parents get older, they get softer and more open to things. Um, so I think if I had tried this five or 10 years ago, I don't know that I would have been so successful. But now that my parents have grandkids, they've softened up a bit.
2: well again as as someone who who was in this in this unique this unique situation where you love wolves and you're raised in this ranch community that doesn't so much why do you think it's why do you think it's so hard to change minds about predators is it simply the monetary issue that overrides just the reality of, of of the the threat
1: i think it it makes ranchers uncomfortable and i think it's um an unknown and it's another risk that if they feel like they can just um eliminate that risk then it makes life easier. So I think that's that's my opinion is um m- my dad and a lot of his friends rancher friends they're not the kind of people who want to know more. They 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 do what they do. They want to know about what they're doing but anything else they don't they're not curious, I guess. And um I think uh I, th- I think they live in their <laughs> in their world and want to keep it contained and 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 aren't willing to um, go out of their comfort zone as much. Um, and that's just that that's just what I personally personally think. Um and I, and one thing I example I have is when I do come back from trips and learn something new and travel to a new place, um they don't ask questions and they don't, hmm. they're so preoccupied with their world and what's been going on for generations and generations that unless I have some new tractor technology or something, it, it, it doesn't apply. And, and again, people um, are afraid of the unknown and, um, and afraid of changing their lifestyle. And if this is what a family has generations have done for years and years, um, they're going to want to stick with that, uh, I think I heard what did I hear humans will we will go out of our way more so to avoid conflict or pain than we will to seek pleasure um and so if, if they think wolves are bad guys they're going to go out of their way to just avoid them um versus to try to learn more about them and hey maybe maybe if wolves were brought back and let's say we didn't ranch anymore we did something else maybe they would be happier <laughs> you know they but they don't want to even um entertain that idea they just uh want to live with what they know
0: yeah when you talk about now that you wrote this this is obviously one of many articles that you've written over the course of your career Mm -hmm. is this spurring more because you were just saying that people don't want to learn the information they don't want to gain the knowledge per se just Mm -hmm. because of you know that the the unwillingness of the unknown and yeah. and worrying about those things. Has this given you another angle to talk about wildlife, wolves in general, to pursue maybe other articles weaving into all the other work that you're doing to talk about them as a species, talk about their advocacy, seeing them in parks, things of that sort. Is that something that you're trying to do more in the future? or? Um, You think it's more of a one off uh, with the article with your parents?
1: No, I I think it's definitely something I'm I'm interested more so now that I've the response I've gotten after writing this from this article from people who reached out on Instagram or email. There is a community out there who is interested and I would love to write for them. And um, I think I told you I'm going to be doing something for Outside Magazine about the reintroduction for wolves in Colorado. And um, it's going to be a tough piece. It's the the premise of that is a rancher, a wildlife biologist, and a hiker meet at a bar. Here's here's what they have to say about wolves. And so I'm going to feature those three perspectives and opinions. And um, it's it's going to be a tough piece to to write can I make more money by doing travel gear guides or writing easier fluff pieces? Absolutely. Um, But this is a passion project. And so I'm willing to travel to Colorado and invest the hours and find, I mean, it's hard enough for an article when you have to interview one source, but for this, I have to find the biologist, the rancher, the hiker. I have to reach out to, Colorado's government to see if they'll give me details about when and where they're going to release the wolves, which I doubt they will. Um, it's a it's a big ordeal and it's going to be a big investment of my time, but I'm willing to do that because I'm passionate about this and educating other people. Um, so yeah, it definitely will be something in the future that I will write about, or I'm, I'm also really passionate about Africa and um, the wild dogs there. And uh, I could see myself writing more pieces about safaris I go on in Africa and focusing on the wild dogs there because um, they also interest me the same way wolves do here. I don't think they're nearly as cool as wolves and they stink, but um, <laughs> but there's just something about the, the dog uh, species related to dogs that are just fascinating to me.
0: When you look back on it, mm-hmm. did you ever believe – obviously at your four-year-old self or your younger self your passion for wolves ever coming to this point of getting your parents to yellowstone to view them and now possibly turning your career at least partially to advocacy and information as opposed to like you say the fluff pieces and things like that and and parsing out a part of what you do to this type of uh type of project
1: No, I'm, I'm not surprised because when I'm interested in something, it, it becomes a a big part of my life. And I know some people have phases where they are interested in one thing for a bit and then it changes. That's not like that for me. Um, if I'm interested in something when I'm five, I'm still interested in it. And I I remember being, I think I was in third grade around nine years old when, T the T Y beanie babies were a huge thing <laughs> and my parents would buy me any beanie baby I, I wanted. Um, but they wouldn't buy me the wolf beanie baby. So I didn't have money. They were only $5. Um, Be- beanie babies were only $5 back then. I got a dollar a week allowance. Um, I actually got 90 cents cause my dad made us tithe 10% to the church. Um, so I had enough money to get a knockoff Beanie Baby. So I got a knockoff wolf Beanie Baby. It didn't have the tag. It was had larger pellets. So it it was a like a dollar store Beanie Baby. But I was so proud that I I paid for it with my own money. I didn't care that it wasn't a TY, that it didn't have the red TY tag. I was proud that I didn't let my parents determine what, what I was going to buy. They're willing to buy me a Beanie Baby, but not a wolf. But I'll buy my own beanie baby. That's a wolf. And if it's not a real beanie baby, it doesn't matter. I'm buying it and it's a wolf. And, um, I don't think you go through that as a kid. And then that just, that's just, that's just me. And I've, I've been like that. So I, my, my love for wolves, um, it's it's not going to go away. It's going to manifest itself in in some way, shape and form. And I'm fortunate now that I can get paid (laughs) for my interest. Um, I can afford the real beanie baby now, (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> you finally afford oh, the
1: beanie baby. I
0: can afford the beanie baby. Yeah. Beanie baby. Yeah, I know. Now, now, unfortunately, you, you got to find them probably on eBay, and they're probably yeah, ten times as much as they used to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Um, um, we um, well. we went to Alaska when I was in eighth grade, and I bought a full-size sled dog. <laughs> off the animal. Oh <laughs> um, my goodness. So. <laughs> yeah I, I, I love, love my dog stuffed animals
0: <laughs> yeah I mean it's it must be something I think I mean, I know for me when I started at Wolf connection it was the same thing i have I had such an affinity for for canines and for dogs, and mm-hmm. it just it transferred so beautifully over into the work that that I do at Wolf connection I mean Steve, did that was that? I can't remember Steve, was that kind of the same with you or not really what's with, that? Uh, with dog well, just like the love for dogs transferring over to wolves and stuff like that, I don't know what it was like for you. I can't remember.
2: Honestly, it may, have, it may have gone in some way in the reverse where definitely I see my dog differently. I have a different relationship with my dog because of my exposure to, to wolves, absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, I know it was the same thing with, with me. Like I, I You're right, because my relationship was one way, then learning to deal with wolves and wolf dogs and understand that relationship, and you're like, oh, I've been doing this wrong for however many, you know, for a couple decades. Yeah. <laughs> you just got to switch, you got to hit the reset button a little bit. Yeah. Um, to make that all work. Yeah. Um, So Katie, for everybody out there who is one wants to read not only this article uh, about wolves, but also all of your other incredible stuff that you that you write about, where can they find you on Instagram, your your work? I know outside magazine, you're there. But what other places can they find your stuff and, and contact you and talk to you about all the awesome stuff you're writing about?
1: Yeah, I I think the best way to do that would be to reach out to me on Instagram, which is at Katie Talks Travel, K-A-T-I-E Talks Travel and um, slide into my DMs. I often post links to my stories there and post what I'm working on there. Uh, That's definitely the best way to reach me. And if anyone has story ideas, I'm always in the market. So um, feel free to shoot me any story ideas.
0: Yeah. And give her stuff to test out, obviously. Just send her a box full of gear and, and <laughs> tell her what to do with please, it. <laughs> please don't.
1: But if anyone if <laughs> no, anyone do needs boxes, I, I have a bunch you can borrow. <laughs> if any if yeah. anybody's
0: moving, we can DM Katie Talks Travel and she can help you move. Yeah. Um my my last question for you, Katie, yeah. is when you hear the word wolf, what is the thing that comes to your mind?
1: Oh, when I hear the word ego right now is coming to mind in the sense that I have an ego, but when I think of wolves or I'm around wolves, I don't have that ego. And I I realize that um, they put me in my place, I think. And um, I'm just so in awe of them that uh, I, it doesn't matter what I achieve or, or whatnot. If I am in front of a wolf or thinking about a wolf, I am just in awe and I feel small and it's, it's good. Um, It's a, it's nice to put me back in my place. And uh, there's just something, there's something supernatural about them. And I don't know what it, what it is, but uh, that's what comes to mind is I just love how humbled I am by, by wolves.
0: Terrific. Yeah. Katie, uh, love the article. Love all the work that you're doing. Uh, definitely keep us posted when you might have that Colorado piece coming out. We'd love to talk to you again and, and get you back on to talk about it. So just keep us in the loop with Will that. We'll do. Yeah. Yeah. So, Katie Jackson, thank you so much. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. And uh, yeah, just awesome to have you on the podcast with Steven and I. So, uh, house to you all out there and stay on Bay with you next time. Bye, everybody. Looking for more information about Wolf Connection or the podcast? Please visit our website at wolfconnection.org where you can donate, sponsor a wolf, or become a volunteer.